Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen, amen. Well, you can be seated. As you're seated, turn to someone near you and just say, I'm really glad you're here today. Would you do that? I'm really glad you're here today. If you're not glad that they're here today, I want you to look at them and say, I'm glad that other person's here today. Do something like that. Do something. You've got to say it one way or the other. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Chapter 1, we're going to actually be looking at verse 18 and then been, been using First and 2 Timothy to kind of talk about the ramifications in our lives as we continue a series called Centered, Centered. Just simply how do we live strong in a world that just is a little off balance. And we've been a little bit weird over the last couple of weeks. We started this a month ago, and then the next week we had an electrical outage. I don't know if you knew this or not, but a couple of Sundays ago we had to cancel, and we were having a guy come in. Rick Dugan was going to be talking to us about about discipleship and, and how that foundationalizes us and giving us some examples of that. And then last week... My son Wesley preached, and so um, I'm back at it today. And I can't tell you how many people, they said, well, you know, you had a week off because Wesley was preaching. You obviously have never watched your 18-year-old son preach. Because I'm going to tell you, I was a nervous wreck. I was, I was down on the front row praying my guts out. I mean, I, was, I, I went home more exhausted than if I just preached Easter weekend. And so uh, it was funny. We, uh, when we got up uh, Saturday night, I went up to Wes and I said, Hey, Wes, now we love you. Mom and I love you and we support, we'll support you. But we realized that maybe me sitting in the front row might be a little nerve-wracking for you. And so if you want, I'll be glad to move out of eyesight so that you don't have to look at me all the time. But if you would like, we'll sit here, and anytime you get nervous, if you just want to look at it, you go right ahead and look at us. And he said, oh, sit on the front row, Dad. Sit on the front row. But you know what? That kid didn't look at me all weekend. It was kind of funny. So anyway, well, what I want to talk about today is actually a passage of Scripture that I love the pastoral epistles. And the, and the reason I love First and Second Timothy and Philemon and Titus is because they're called the pastoral epistles, which just simply means letters to pastors. And they are le- letters, I think, to young pastors. And what Paul is trying to do is Paul is coming down toward the end of his ministry. He begins to get a little bit nostalgic, but he also begins to realize how important it is for him to say some things because Paul writes all of these letters within about a five-year period. He uh, writes First and Second Timothy within about a three-year period, and then Titus and Philemon. And what he understands is that his ministry is coming to an end. His life is actually coming to a close. And he has some really important things he needs to teach that next generation of leaders so that they understand what it says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, so that you know how to conduct yourself in God's household, his family, which is the church. And as he, as he speaks, he begins to give Timothy some warnings, and he, he brings up an analogy, a metaphor, that actually you, you, you probably have thought about it, you probably have quoted it, but he actually only mentions it one time in all of Scripture. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Now, Paul only mentions it one time, and here's what he says. Timothy, my son... I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to to faith 
and a good conscience. Now, here, here's what that phrase means. That Whenever you see that phrase, and a good conscience, it means that your testimony lines up with what you're teaching. Um, in other words, what you're doing in private and how you're living your life gives you the right to actually speak about these things. And so there's a congruency that he's looking for. And then he says this, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. There's a couple of others he mentions along the way. Might be able to mention Demas in that. Certainly Philetus is mentioned in chapter uh, 2 of 2 Timothy. But he says there are some people who have shipwrecked their faith. Now when you use that phrase shipwrecked, I, I, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a pretty vivid term. In fact, I'll be honest, a lot of people, even if you didn't grow up in the church, if we talk about someone who just, they shipwrecked, it's someone who collapsed. It's someone who, who went under. It's someone who, who maybe started strong, but they did not finish strong. In fact, they floundered and hit the rocks. And it's interesting that what, what God is trying to help us understand is that that doesn't have to be you. You, you can not only start strong, but you can finish strong. And so Paul ultimately is going to try to help us understand, Timothy, how to navigate so that you don't become one of those who are shipwrecked. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about shipwrecks. Because in the history of the United States, in fact, in Michigan, in the Great Lakes, we have had a number of shipwrecks. I was doing some research on this, and I was actually trying to find out how many maritime shipwrecks there have been in the United States, and I couldn't come up with the answer. But I did come up with the answer when it comes to the Great Lakes. Um, one historian indicated that in, in, in Lake Superior alone, there are at least 6,000 ships and boats that are at the bottom of the lake. That's a lot. Um, another historian indicated that in all of the Great Lakes, there are, there are more than 24,000 shipwrecks that have taken place. And they actually have common causes of those things. Um, the three I wanted to share with you this morning, there's actually a few others, but these are the three most common causes of shipwrecks. And it's interesting because when you hear them, there's, it, it, immediately my mind goes to a spiritual application. The first cause are internal explosions. Um, they, are, they are explosions that take place on the ship that take the ship down. Um, uh, actually, um, it's interesting, the most famous one of that is the Sultona. Uh, the Sultona, actually, in fact, it is the worst maritime disaster that has ever taken place in the United States, and it happened uh, in Memphis, uh, not, not Michigan, but Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Um, it happened in 1885, April 27th, the Sultona, which was a steamship, which was a, a, battle, a, a paddle ship. You know those steamboats that have a big paddle on the side? That's, that's what this one was. Um, over 2,100 people died when it went down, which is really crazy. You're, you're going to notice a lot of times that when these disasters take place, there are more people on the ship than were supposed to be on the ship. The ship was only equipped for around 337 people. Over 2,100, and it just turned out 1,900 of them were actually paroled prisoners that were being relocated when three of the four boilers exploded. It was an internal problem that was not dealt with that caused an explosion 
and all of them lost their lives. It's an interesting side note, by the way, because it had actually been worked on in the weeks previous by a guy out of Ohio. Um, they had a problem with one of the boilers. He evidently had taken care of it, did not take care of it, caused the explosion. But nobody ever got in trouble for it, nor even got, in the media never even covered it because uh, that was 12 days after President Lincoln was assassinated. And the day before was when John Wilkes Booth was assassinated. And so nobody ever covered it and it didn't get any coverage in the United States. To this day, worst maritime disaster that has ever happened in the United States. And when you think about that, you, you make some spiritual applications is that oftentimes in believers' lives, there are some internal stuff that if not dealt with, takes them down. Um, one of them is just simply, um, the way I describe it is that when you go through pressure situations, many times our character flaws tend to come to the surface and they tend to take us under. Um, one of those that I think of is Abraham in Scripture. Abraham, Abraham was the patriarch of the Jewish faith um, I think we would all acknowledge he was a man of faith. In fact, Paul says in Romans that, uh, you know, that he's the demonstration of what it means to live by faith. And yet Abraham had one of what I call in leadership kind of a critical flaw. And whenever he got in trouble, he tended to revert to the flaw. And that was in order to deal with conflict and pressure, he tended to tell half-truths and lies. And so you'll notice that when he goes into a new territory, he tells a half-truth or a lie, as also called, is that he tells everybody that his wife Sarah is really his sister. He does that twice. By the way, his son Isaac did the same thing with his wife, Rebecca. And oh, by the way, his grandson, Jacob, his name meant deceiver because he was kind of a little shady. And oh, by the way, his great-great-grandsons, they're the ones that told dad, Jacob, that their, his favorite son had been killed by a wild beast when they had really sold him into slavery, Joseph, and he, they had sold him into slavery. And what you see in this family is some character stuff that never got dealt with, and when pressure was on, it was their default setting. Other ones that we sometimes struggle with are uh, anger. Some of us have an anger button, and if you don't deal with it, it tends to show itself in a very unhealthy manner when you're under stress and under pressure. Some people, it's just worry. Some people will tear themselves apart. Some, some people will self-medicate whenever they, and you can self-medicate in a lot of ways. You can self-medicate with relationships and drugs and alcohol. There's a lot of ways you can self-medicate, but it's interesting, they tend to show themselves when you're in pressure situations. Can I just tell you something? I've been the pastor here at Colonial Woods a while. You're all a mess. <laughs> so am I. I'm a mess. We all are a mess. In fact, I want you to look at the person next to you and just say, you're a mess. Do that, would you? You're a mess. And, and I want you to look back at that person and say, it's okay because you're a mess too. Right? Do that, would you? And if you're scared of the person you're sitting next to, look at the other person and say, they're a mess, right? We all, we all, we all, we all have issues. We're all a mess. And, and we've, here's the deal. There is no believer out there that is not a mess. We all have some things that tend to trip us up. They don't have to. We've got to deal with them. 
Now, another internal explosion sometimes that happens in a person's life is that we have past issues that still have not resolved themselves in our life. Now, we could go on and talk about this and and do like Dr. Phil and talk about all this stuff, but the fact is, is that Timothy, I believe Paul understands that Timothy has some of those issues in his own life. Timothy is considered, even within the Christian world, a half-breed. And he does not fit anywhere. Um, His mom was Jewish. His grandmother and his mother were believers. His dad was Greek. We don't see anywhere. In fact, you'll notice that when when Paul speaks to Timothy, he calls him my son. And it's not because he is the biological father. It's because that when Timothy came to faith, dad disowned him. And so Paul became his spiritual father. And you don't think that creates some issues in a guy's life? In fact, wherever Timothy goes, an interesting thing for you, if you ever just get on the internet, go to a Bible Gateway or something like that, and, and just look up every time in the New Testament that Timothy's name comes up, it's not that often, probably 20, 25 times, it's really interesting Timothy's name, wherever he goes, is often surrounded by confusion because people don't know how to treat him. He's not circumcised, and so Jewish people don't think he fits. He's not following his dad's footsteps, uh, footsteps, so the Greeks don't think he fits. This is a guy without an identity, and so you will notice in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy how often Paul looks at him and says, you need to remember the prophetic word that was given to you. You need to remember that your identity is in Christ. You need to remember that you were given a spirit of timidity, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of of power and of love and of self-discipline or a sound mind. He says, you need to understand what your calling is. You need to know that our hands were laid on you. He keeps calling him to deal with his identity issues in Christ. Another cause, by the way, a common cause of shipwrecks are sudden storms, sudden storms. Now, I know we've talked a lot about storms this year. Uh, in January, we did a message on storms, and in June, we did a message on storms. But I want to talk to you, because I, I, I looked back to make sure. I want to talk to you about what those storms are sometimes, and I want to tell you one that most of you will understand. Did you realize that people are often your sudden storm? How many of you understand that people can be a sudden storm in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, and if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you're sitting next to your sudden storm, and you don't want them to know, right? <laughs> Maybe. <You're> right? <laughs> That's what you're thinking. You're going, I, I didn't mean that. No, sudden storms. Paul, Paul had sudden storms, and those sudden storms were people. They were people storms. Um, interestingly, when you look down, when you look down in Paul's writings, how often he talks about people that you need to watch out for. Now, you're going to notice it, but I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture. Um, You'll notice that he mentions by name Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus, if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, Hymenaeus and another guy by the name of Philetus, they are teaching really horrible doctrine. In fact, one of the lies that they were teaching is that they had missed the coming of the Lord. 
Now, real quick here, because I know not everybody's been a Christian for a long time, but how many believe that Jesus is coming again? We tried to talk about that. Okay, how many when Jesus comes again, you want to go with him? Okay, how many of you would be discouraged if you found out Jesus came and you missed it? How discouraging would that be? I had a dream, a reoccurring dream when I was a kid. Um, I don't know how many of you remember, this is a really old movie. It's called A Thief in the Night. Any of you remember that movie? Uh, yeah, okay, well, I guarantee all of us were scared out of hell by that movie. It was, it was a scary, it was all about the coming of Christ. Anyway, when I was a kid, I saw that movie, and it was about the rapture and all that stuff, and I had a reoccurring dream that, went, that the rapture happened and that I was going up, but I wasn't keeping up with everybody else. And so everybody else was floating up, right, to Jesus, and I couldn't keep up. And so I was like trying to swim up to heaven to try to get up there. That's true. That is true. I had a reoccurring dream. So I go downstairs, one, it was a summer, and, and I went outside, and the lawnmower was running, and nobody was at the lawnmower. And I was convinced that Jesus had raptured my mom, and I missed the rapture. I kid you not. I mean, right then and there. Jesus, I am so sorry. By the way, if that happens, too late. Uh, but anyway, you know what? She was, she was weeding. She was pulling weeds out, and I didn't see her. Scared me. Alexander, the metal worker. We don't know what he did, but we know he deeply wounded Paul. Go over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is coming down to the end of his life. He knows it, by the way, because in verse 9, here's what he uh, 6, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. See, he's coming down to the end of life, and he's beginning to think back. And it's really ending, when he comes, the very, some of the very last words he writes are about people who hurt him. He says, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, he's a believer, but because he loved the world, he deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, now he doesn't say that Crescens did anything wrong, but he, Crescens went to Galatia, Titus went to Dalmatia. The only, only Luke is with me. Alexander the metal worker, verse 14, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Now, you, don't may, you may not think that that's a big deal, but in that moment, he deals with a people storm by turning it over to the Lord. The Lord knows how to deal with those people storms in our life. And when we go through people storms, one of the things we really have to guard against is that we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'll just tell you, if you hold on to the unforgiveness, that unforgiveness will hold on to you. And it'll, it'll get a hold of you. And so Paul, Paul is hurt and Paul is wounded, but Paul is not holding on. And he says this, he said, um, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. That is a key for today. 
the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Would you say that with me? The Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Do you know if you look at Paul's life, Paul could deal, he literally, literally was shipwrecked three times. Paul could deal with the beatings. Paul could deal with the, 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 um, the, uh, uh, the persecution. Paul could deal with the fact that he had spent over half of his public ministry in jail. What he struggled the most with were people. I've been reading through uh, Paul's letters and uh, just my personal devotional time. And when I was reading through 2 Corinthians, it struck me that Paul talks about all these things that he endured. But the thing that got him was that he looked at the church of Corinth and he said, man, I have, I've given everything for you. And you're accusing me of being dishonest? He said, I haven't taken anything from you. I, I've never even taken pay from you. He said, I, I did it so that I could never be accused of doing this for false motives. And then he says this. He said, we, uh, we've opened wide our hearts to you. In fair exchange, open wide your heart to us. Paul said, we've given, we've, we have totally been vulnerable with you. And so Paul, as he's working through all of this, Paul understands that many of the storms are people storms. Now, sometimes, by the way, in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, he says there are family storms. Sometimes there are situational storms. Let me hit the last one because we've got to talk about how to navigate it. It's fog. Fog is the cause. Do you know that in Michigan, in, Lake, Lake, in, in Michigan, just Michigan, that we have more lighthouses than any other state in the country probably did? At one time, there were 257 lighthouses in the state of Michigan. Today, there's like 100 or so that are still somewhat operational, and you can visit them and stuff. But 257 lighthouses, and it's real simple. Why? Fog. Darkness. Because you, you apply this spiritually, is that when believers are in a fog, now a lot of things can cause a fog. Emotions can, can cause a fog. Sometimes our health can cause a fog. Sometimes when we are just weak because we feel like we're being attacked, it can cause a fog. And what happens when you're in the fog is that you begin to navigate by feeling rather than by sight. You begin to navigate by what you sense rather than what you know. Uh, Wesley and I, um, uh, as I've coached him in his, his life, uh, when Wesley was a teenager, early teenager, he's a teenager now, but when he was an early teenager, um, he began to deal with emotions. It was just like these emotions. How many of you, as a teenager, okay, let me ask this. How many have had a teenager in your house and there was a little emotion sometimes, right? Okay, right, and that's not picking on teenagers. Everybody, when you're a teenager, man, you're just dealing with emotions. And so I cannot tell you how many times I came to Wes and said, Wesley, that's just your emotion. You, you don't have to, don't, no, you don't, you don't live life by emotion. You live by, by what you know. Now, all of these causal factors of storms, all of them have con uh, common denominators. Uh, the first one, I'm just going to fill in your notes for you. The first one is that there was a lack of awareness that they were in trouble. They had no idea, the explosions, the, the fog, the storms, they had no idea that they were actually in trouble. It's a lack of awareness. Number two, the second common denominator is that there's a lack of intentionality. Can we get the PowerPoint going? Um, there's a lack of intentionality. 
And then the third one is a lack of judgment. So it's just a lack of judgment. They, they made a poor decision at a critical time. Now, Paul, when he gets into 2 Timothy, he actually does it in 1 Timothy, but when he gets into 2 Timothy, he hits it even more. And Paul says, you don't have to be a shipwreck. You don't have to go down. Timothy, I got better plans for you. And he gives three keys to navigating this territory, the first one is simply this. He focuses in on the word, the word. It is why? Because the word of God is the truth of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you just pop over there real quick, I want you to see this because it is powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about the fact that there are godless days that are coming. He said there are going to be people who teach lousy stuff. But then he says this in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. Say that with me. Ready? All scripture is God-breathed. How much of it is God-breathed? All of it. Not some of it. Not part of it. Not the part that you agree with. All of it. And I love it. It's God-breathed. The Spirit of God gave breath to it. This isn't something Peter says that was just made up by people who decided to make it up. And he says, by the way, because of that, it is useful for teaching, instructing, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, let me tell you, if you're in the fog, stay grounded to what you know is true. If you're going through a storm, you stay grounded to what you know is true. If you're dealing with character issues in your life, you stay grounded to what you know is true. And I can't tell, I love this because Wes is now getting ready to go off to college. And we've been primary coaches in his life. We've navigated stuff. And Wes said, you know, man, this is kind of weird. I'm transitioning into college. You guys aren't going to be around. And I just looked at him and said, oh, Wes, you know how to navigate this stuff. You know the word of God as well as anybody I know. Just keep clinging to what you know is true. Can I just encourage you, believer? I will go to my death. Whenever the Lord takes me home, I hope the last thing I breathe, and it's not donuts, <laughs> is stay grounded in the word. Because I am going to tell you it is absolutely the key to navigating this stuff. Crazy stuff going on. The word of God keeps you navigating correctly. Number two, the body of Christ. And it's interesting because of the body, as he applies it, is about accountability. He says you can hold each other accountable. So, you know, Rob, I don't see you a whole lot, but we need to hold each other accountable. Tony, you're one of my leaders. You need to hold me accountable. I hold you accountable. Pastor Ann, I hold you accountable. You hold me accountable. Chelsea, you hold Ann accountable. She needs Leona, there are about 20 people need to hold her accountable. And so he actually, in 2 Timothy, starts, and he, he says, why? He says, because this is how you do the household of God. That's what he calls it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I'm trying to teach you how to do this whole thing of the household of God. He said, this is a family. 
And we need to hold each other accountable. And oh, by the time, sometimes, sometimes you need somebody with a gift of mercy just to put their arm around you and just love on you. And sometimes you need somebody who's a truth teller, a gift of prophecy, say a prophetic word to you, so they can hold you. Sometimes you need an encourager who can help you put a plan together to navigate through it. But he said, we've got to have each other. It's the only way you navigate this stuff. The word of God, the body of Christ, and then I love because he focuses in that last passage on one thing. He says, and then focusing on the Lord because the Lord is faithful and he will never, never leave you. In 2 Timothy, he says this. He says, even if we are faithless, the Lord is still faithful because he cannot deny his own character who he is. Did you catch that? Even if you are faithless, he is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's why I love that last passage that I had you quote with me in 2 Timothy. In, Ty, in, uh, in chapter uh, 4, very last there, he says, I'm, 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 I'm almost done. I'm almost done. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Would you say that with me? The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Father, I am so thankful that you don't leave us wandering and drifting without hope. And I, I understand. I, I had a, a young person come to me last night and said, you know what, this is, this, this is my testimony. I've really been struggling lately. You're here this morning and you feel like the Holy Spirit has been tapping you on the shoulder as if this was meant for you and can I tell you why that's happening? It's because it's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder because it's for you. Remember what we said before we ever got into this? We prayed and I said, Lord, I give you permission to surprise me. And to speak to me in ways that I never thought you were going to speak to me. And you're here this morning and you feel like you have been ambushed by God. Remember this, every time the Spirit of God speaks to you, it is not because he hates you, it's because he loves you and is pursuing you and is either trying to throw you a lifeline or to guide you in a better direction. So Spirit of the living God, I have just been praying that today would be a day of encouragement. That one who feels like they're just floundering. I pray right now you would encourage them, recognizing that your word is true, the body is here, but more than anything else, you will never lose your faithfulness to them. Would you strengthen our weak knees? And when we feel like giving out, I pray, Father, you'd give us more grace. The storms that are just pounding people, especially the, the people ones. Oh, Father, would you heal us at the deepest level? 
can stand by our side. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.